Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time and range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car, like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive. You can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey everyone, Josh and Chuck here to remind you that our last three shows of the year, and boy, this is a good show this year, are taking place very soon and tickets are still available. Yeah, so get in the saddle and come out and see us partners in Orlando, Atlanta, and Nashville. Just go to stuffyoushouldknow.com and click on the tour link and you can get all your tickets right there. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck and Jerry's here, too. And this is Stuff You Should Know, uh, part of the very grim edition. That's right. All-star writer Livia helped us with this, so you know it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. Just trying to butter Livia up so she knows how much we appreciate her. (laughs) Sure. This topic, though, is like she did a good job with it, but it's um, one of those things where People are all morbidly fascinated with it, right? It's just mm-hmm. kind of one of those things where you might talk about it at a party or something like that. What would be your last meal kind of thing? Yeah. But when you dig into it, you're like, man, this is a dark topic. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, what you're talking about is ultimately a, a ritual that surrounds the execution of the human life. Yeah. And when you really start to dig into it and look at it seriously and look at like last meals that people actually had or why we give people last meals, that kind of stuff, it's just, it's grim. I mean, there's no other word to, to describe it. It's a grim, grim topic. So it is. Buckle up. Uh, and it's easy to, uh, while you're sort of researching all this about the food, to forget what happens just after the food. I thought you were going to say get hungry. No. <laughs> Uh, but I found myself over and over being like, oh, right. And then there was a firing squad or then they were hanged or then they were put in the electric chair. Um, How many times did you forget? Two more times. I forgot six, six times, five times. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's just, it was, it was sort of a constant reminder. So, uh, yeah. uh, this one won't be, you know, as full of laughs as usual, probably. Every time we say that it turns out to be a laugh riot. Can we so, go back in time? Yeah, I was going to say we we uh, probably should get historical because people have been eating last meals for a very long time. Um, I, apparently, the Code of Hammurabi was the first to to describe not last meals but capital punishment, uh, oh, okay. execution by the state. Right? Yeah. 
it's not they didn't say and also by the way they can have some unleavened bread or something as as a last meal mm-hmm. um it's not until i believe the romans the ancient greeks and the chinese mm-hmm. uh i guess contemporaneous chinese um where last meals first start appearing in in documentation yeah um there are other examples that weren't necessarily like uh, you're going to be executed for a crime like Roman gladiators supposedly feasted pretty well uh, because they might die. Mm-hmm. Aztecs would give the, the people who were going to be ritual, uh, ritually sacrificed uh, a big feast mm-hmm. um, because they knew what was coming next. And a woman named Linda Ross Meyer, who she's going to come up quite a bit because she's done a lot of studying on this stuff, uh, had a paper in 2008 where she said, you know, I think a lot of this is based on the Last Supper of Christ. Um, And you'll see that kind of throughout, whether it's 17th century England or 21st century America, where uh, someone may just request the Eucharist as their their last meal. Yeah, and not only that being the last meal, apparently the more religious a group is, um, the more likely they are to ritualize executions. Which is surprising, I guess, but maybe not. Not really. If you think about, like, the state executing somebody and you take it to, like, an Orwellian level, this, mm-hmm. th- this that's just so dispersonal and dispatching. It just gets to the point. It's an execution. Yeah. Done. Next. You know? Yeah. Um, it, it makes sense to me that religious types would be like, no, we've got to, like, add this ritual to it or that ritual to it to give it meaning, you know? Um, or else it's what what's the point of it kind of thing aside yeah. from just taking a life. No, that's and, a, that's a good point. Like the Puritans certainly, they almost had like celebrations mm-hmm. of like, hey, you're you're going back to God, so let's throw a party. Can't you just see the condemned like getting elbowed in the ribs? Like, right. hey, man, lighten up! It's a party. Yeah, it's oh. like easy for you to say, right. Goody, Goody Clark. Goody, um, yeah, I guess Clark will do. Yeah, you can I can't Goody. think of anything better. So Goody yeah. Bryant, you just fire it right back at me. I was trying to Puritan up the, you know, Clark. Oh, sure. Well, I guess good. you could spell it with a Y and an E or something weird like that. Yeah, or Goody Mather. Yeah, there you go. All right. So, um, yeah, the Puritans were big time into that kind of thing, uh, but they were far from the only ones to hold kind of like a, a communal or at least a, a, a bit of a feast, a communal meal or a feast. Um, I guess Germany was really big on yeah. ritualizing it as well. Um, which makes sense because they were pretty big into Protestantism by this time. This is the 18th century when Frankfurt used to give out the hangman's meal, which mm-hmm. is a pretty lavish feast. Yeah, sounds like it. There was one they described in 1772 uh, from uh, a murderer named Susanna uh, Margareth Brandt, who had, uh, and this is kind of gross to read out loud, but um, there were six officials to eat this meal uh, with Susanna. But it was three pounds of fried sausages. Check. So far, not too bad. Uh, Ten pounds of beef. Mm -hmm. Doesn't say how it's prepared. Uh, Six pounds of baked carp. Mm, It's Mm. koi, you realize. (laughs) Uh, Twelve pounds of carp is koi? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. I'm going to – that's a hill I'll die on. I'm probably wrong. (laughs) I realized in the last episode in Mad I did bad math right off of the – the bat, but this is, I'm going to stay with this fact. Well, there's no math involved in baked carp. No, but I could so you still should be, be wrong. <laughs> uh, 12 pounds of larded roast veal. That's a new one to me. 
uh, soup, cabbage, bread, a sweet, and eight and a half measures of 1748 wine. It's a great vintage. Uh, I tried to find out what a measure was in 1748. Uh, the best I could find that it was like um, five or six pints, but I, I don't know if that's right or not. It's <laughs> a lot. Who knows? So a lot of wine. Yeah, for sure. And that's an ongoing thing, Chuck. You know, getting the person drunk uh, before you execute them used to be a like a longstanding tradition. And not just in Europe, you know, like the, the um, I believe the Inca, when they sacrificed children, just basically left them out to die of exposure, they would get them high, usually, mm-hmm. or possibly drunk on some sort of wine. Um, and as we'll see, that is not something that's a part of executions today. That that is, there's just something wrong with that, we've decided, even though it makes a lot of sense. But I guess if you're trying to exact retribution, you want that person like fully cognizant of what's happening to them when it's happening to them. But that's a kind of a new idea from what I can tell. Yeah, the the same as the last cigarette. You know, you have the uh, sort of the image in your head of the firing squad, like someone going and putting a cigarette in someone's mouth. Uh, But even cigarettes, you know, if they're if they're not on the prison uh, menu as far as being allowed, then they don't allow it. That's right. I wondered I wondered while I was researching this, if I would if I if I could have a last cigarette, if I were being executed, if I would do it, and I decided I wouldn't. I would oh. die feeling like, oh man, I let this get to me again. So I, I just wouldn't do it. Oh, good for you. That means you've really quit. Yeah, agreed. If you wouldn't smoke a cigarette, if you, right before your execution, you've mm-hmm. quit smoking cigarettes. That's a good. That's sort of a baggy T-shirt, but not bad. Well, the big baggy T-shirts are back. The ones from the 90s, everybody's wearing those now. Yeah, so you could fit that on it. Are they really? Yeah. All right, because I couldn't tell because you've been messing with me a lot. No, Oh, it's true. Somebody wrote in and was like, please stop doing that. I didn't understand what she meant at first, but then I was like, oh, you mean when, like, Josh said something and he says, oh, I'm just kidding? Yeah. She seemed Humor? pretty mad about it. Yeah, she didn't like that at all. So. She said we're like 12-year-old boys. That's true. Which I took as a compliment. <laughs> Um, in London, uh, there was a tradition of, and this was in, I guess, the like late 1700s, early 1800s, I think. There was a tradition of letting the prisoner actually like have friends over and celebrate. Uh, and then when they stepped up to the gallows, they would have a, quote, great bowl of ale to drink at their pleasure as their last refreshment in life. Yeah, that's one of the um, suggested origins for falling off the wagon, that you were taken oh, to the gallows right. in a wagon, remember? And then yeah, you'd get yeah, off yeah. the wagon to have that last drink. But that's right. they decided that probably wasn't it. Um, in the U.S., this came about um, formally sort of at the end of the 19th century when public executions and big sort of, hey, let's everyone meet in the town square and watch someone be hanged uh, was replaced by a little more private affair a little more standardized with not as many people around. And they started, some prisons started uh, publishing in newspapers because it sold papers uh, what people wanted to eat. Yeah, and they kind of had to because if not, then that's just, again, the state executing people because the state can or the state's decided. The, the point of an execution is it's the state's carrying it out on behalf of the community. Mm-hmm. And so... Since they stopped involving the community directly by saying you can come watch this person be killed because we're killing them for you, 
um, they have to they had to share enough details to mm-hmm. to say we did this for you guys and here's the details right. of what happened. Um, and one of the things that kind of came out of that that custom, the new custom in the I guess late 19th century, is um, sharing what the person requested for their last meal. Yeah, and then what followed was like, should we still do this? Uh, you still hear about this stuff every now and then, but it's not as codified, I don't think. Um, some states used to have websites that had details like this. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas stopped doing that in the early 2000s because uh, people complained. Um, Arizona apparently still has a web page, um, even though the last um, last information uh, informational entry was, I think, in 2014. So this idea that people uh, want to hear about this has always been intriguing slash controversial. Right. By the way, Texas stopped doing it because people complained that they were taking up too much of the Internet with those details because they execute so many people. I mean, you can't talk about executions without talking Texas. <laughs> it's true. Can't spell it without the EX in both Texas and execution. Yeah, and we'll, we're going to talk about Texas again later, of course. Uh, yes. Should we take an early break? Yeah, let's do it. Well, we're going to do it, everybody. Hey everyone, the Easter Bunny is coming early this year. That's right, Easter is Sunday, March 31st. And with free in-store pickups, CVS makes it easy to get everything you need for brilliant baskets and happier hunts. You can find delightful toys, Peeps-themed egg decorators, pre-filled Easter eggs packed with goodies, and so much more. So hop to it and get your order fast with free CVS pickup. Visit cvs.com Easter for details. Hey, everybody, it's Josh and Chuck here to tell you about Health Aid Kombucha. So, what exactly is Health Aid Kombucha? Well, get this, everyone it's a fermented, bubbly probiotic tea that's good for your gut. It's blended with real fruit juice and it's super thirst quenching, right, Chuck? That's right. It comes in so many delicious flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon. And get this you can drink it just like you would drink a soda or your favorite sparkling beverage. Yep, it's a little sweet, a little tangy and very refreshing. If you want to give it a try and see how great you feel, look for the brown bottle with an anchor and make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. Hey friends, did you know that it's estimated that 85% of all customer service interactions are automated? Yeah, it's true, and customers are the lifeblood of all business. So you probably don't want to put that responsibility in the hands of a robot. And that's why thousands of business owners call Ruby and hire them. That's right. Ruby is the virtual receptionist company who screens, transfers, and takes messages 24-7 all while making your customers feel special. Yep, you definitely don't want to hire a subpar front desk person. And with Ruby, they engage with your callers in a conversational way, just like your best employee would. That's right. Finding someone who cares about your business as much as you do feels impossible at times, but the team at Ruby are experts in providing the best customer experience and turn every ring into a relationship. Yep, this year can be your best year yet. Small, efficient changes can make a huge impact on your bottom line. 
That's right, and Ruby answers all of your calls live from right here in the U.S. They'll take messages, answer questions, route calls, and much more. Visit ruby.com, or better yet, give them a call at 844-900-R-U-B-Y. Okay, so Chuck, there's some um, some questions about the purpose of last meal. Like it's one of those things that you know, it's not a part of people's everyday life, and when it is, it's you know at arm's length enough these days. Like we were saying that it's just it could be a part of party conversation even. But it's if if you stop and think about it, like there's a good question, like why why would you do that? There was a, a very famous um uh quote, I guess, from a guy who was executed in Arkansas in, I think, the 90s, who said it doesn't make any sense because you're basically putting, it's like putting gasoline in a car that's got no motor. Mm -hmm. That there's no reason for this person to need food, right? We eat technically so that we can make it through the next day and the next day and the next day. It's like how we gain energy. Once you're executed, you don't need that energy any longer. So why would we feed people a last meal? It, may, it makes no sense if you step back and look at it as a, a purely functional thing. Yeah. Um, if you're, We can go back to Meyer, who, like I said, has studied a lot on this. And she has a few reasons that, you know, and all of these are plausible because it's the kind of thing where there is no, like, quote, you know, correct answer. Mm-hmm. But um, so people can sort of speculate and she said, you know, like you kind of hinted at earlier, like it, it it, would just be extermination and have no meaning. So people like to attach meaning to things. Um, it might be uh, help the prison officials make them feel better. Um, like, hey, like it's nothing personal. It's my job. Here's this nice meal. Yeah, not in like a direct way. Like they, that's oh, sure. why the officials are doing it, but almost like it's there's a subtext to it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, this one makes a, a lot of sense. Uh, maybe it's even like a tool to keep the prisoner passive and like, hey, you know, like the threat that that could go away if you don't behave yourself on the way out. Yeah, and there's a guy uh, named Brent Cunningham who wrote a really good article on this in Lapham's Quarterly. And um, he kind of concluded something that dovetails with what Meyer was saying, that we are, we're, we're showing that the person has humanity. So right. it's, it's adding meaning to the whole process. But his was kind of a darker take on it, that we're adding meaning to the process because we're, we're, we have stripped the person of their humanity so thoroughly mm-hmm. while they were in prison. They were a number. They were, like, kept in a cage. They were not allowed to do stuff without permission. Mm-hmm. Um, that w- by g- allowing them a last meal, we're re-bestowing humanity back on them so we see them as a person again so we can then kill them to get the maximum retribution out of killing them right does that make sense like yeah. we're humanizing them so we can get the most satisfaction out of their death because yeah. if they're not humanized then there's no free will there's no um we're just killing like a a, a machine or something like that right. so there's not as much um, closure, I guess, if is if we if we didn't give them a last meal, that was his take, and I that really resonated with me. Totally, like enjoy that steak, buddy, because you know you're getting what's coming to you. That kind of attitude. Yeah, hopefully, they don't say things like that to people well, while they're eating that last steak. But it's socially speaking, yeah, 
Yeah, I was just talking about like the person at home, not necessarily the server of the state. I know you were, but I okay. could not <laughs> let that one pass and not jump on it. Um, refusing a last meal is something that happens all the time and always has as an act of protest. Uh, there was one person named Lawrence Hayes who was um, on death row, but I, I think eventually was um, found innocent um, and was a member, a founding member of Campaign to End the Death Penalty, mm-hmm. who basically said, yeah, I wouldn't have taken a last meal because it's a gimmick just to make us feel better about this like terrible process. Yeah. Uh, and then there there is one study of uh, close to 250 people who were executed over about a four-year period in the 2000s found that uh, 29% of people who insisted they were innocent uh, declined a last meal compared to 8% who said, no, like, yeah, I did it. Yeah. So that's a pretty big diff. Yeah, that's a huge difference, too. And it makes sense, too. I wouldn't want anything from the people who are about to unjustly kill me. I wouldn't want to be in their debt at all. Yeah. I, I, that's what I'm guessing one of the reasons why they would protest it. At least that's why I would. Yeah, and I think to to draw a little more attention. Plus, I would also kind of manipulate them into offering me a cigarette so I could be like, no, I don't want it. You can keep your stupid cigarette. Yeah, and then say, and I used to love smoking. <laughs> right, but you guys <laughs> ruined it for me. Um, there are a few legal scholars, uh, a guy named Andrew Davies, um, Sabrina Atkins, and Sarah Gerwig-Moore, who uh, about 13 years ago in 2010 looked at sort of the, the rules on the books in the 35 states who are still uh, punishing uh, capitally in 2010, uh, two of them uh, hadn't executed anyone, even though they were still allowed to in decades, and they didn't have protocols. Mm-hmm. Um, of the remaining 33, 15 had no specific rules of that last meal. Um, some had suggestions. Uh, five states had spending limits Yeah. Uh, from 50 bucks in Cali all the way to $15 in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgia had some specifics like, hey, if they want a lobster, we're going to go down and get it at Publix. We're not going to fly it down from Maine or something like that. Sure. Uh, And then uh, I think a few states, three of them would deny uh, the meal altogether and said, you're going to like you'll get a last meal, but it's going to be whatever's on the prison menu, like nothing (laughs) special for you. I know. Couldn't you you just be like, man, cabbage? Really? Right. Had to be cabbage night tonight. Yeah. That just seems, you know, like it's that to me is worse than denying a last meal altogether for some reason. It's just, I don't know. I can't quite put my finger on it, but just being like, nope, you get what everybody else gets for your last meal. It, 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 it's feel like it's worse than saying, no, you can't have one at all for some, somehow. Yeah. And it's not, you know, uh, you sort of get the idea from movies that they like, you know, wipe their mouth with from the lobster and then like get up and walk down the hall toward Mm -hmm. the execution chamber right and that's not happening basically it's usually like the day before because i imagine executing someone on a big i mean some of these meals as we'll see are humongous Mm -hmm. uh it's probably not a good good idea for a lot of reasons yeah it can actually interfere with the effects of the drugs that they use to to execute people now you know yeah um and again, remember we said that like the more religious a group is uh, or like a state or something like that, mm-hmm. the more likely they are to ritualize um, executions. And apparently that study also found that the more um, fundamentalist Christian 
the state population was, the as well as the least amount spent per prison inmate overall, and the ones with the largest prison populations, where those three dovetailed, they typically were the most generous with the last meals. Yeah, really interesting. Mm-hmm. But Meyer had a, a word for that. She called it retru- uh, retributive ritualism. And you're not supposed to say it like Porky Pig. Right. You just say <laughs> retributive ritualism. That's funny. Uh, see, I knew there would be a joke or two in here mm. that's in good taste. Sure. Um, Texas, which we said we would get back to, uh, they uh, changed things in 2011 um, before this is, they were one of the states that were like, you know, you just get the regular prison food, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really changed was when a man named Lawrence Russell Brewer, it's always three names, um, requested, uh, and I'm going to read all of these because this, this is sort of indicative of how ridiculous these meals can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, two chicken fried steaks, a uh, triple cheeseburger, uh, an omelet with ground beef, uh, tomatoes, onions, bell peppers, and jalapenos. Okay. Uh, fried okra with ketchup. Uh, three fajitas. A uh, pint of bluebell ice cream. A uh, pound of barbecue with a loaf of white bread. A meat lover's pizza. Uh, three root beers. And a peanut butter fudge with crushed peanuts. A Refu- slab of it. Yeah, a whole slab of it. Um, re- Brewer refused to eat the food. And it seems like it was sort of the the waste of time and money really got under the skin of a Texas state senator named uh, John Whitmire. And he had kind of had enough at that point and was like, no, we got to cut this off. This is a ridiculous privilege that shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, he spotted an easy way to, to energize his base. So he wrote to the Texas Criminal Justice Division and said, so, he said something like, quote, is it is extremely inappropriate to give a person sentenced to death such a privilege. And that he pointed out, and this is very important, that um, Lawrence Russell Brewer, who is one of the white supremacist scumbags who dragged James Lee Boyd to death behind a pickup truck in the 90s, mm-hmm. um, that he never gave James Lee Boyd the opportunity for a last meal. Uh, that was his, his reasoning. And that is very sound reasoning. But what John Whitmer, the state senator from Texas, is missing is that one of the points of a last meal is for the state to show that its murder, its execution of this person mm-hmm. is different from the crime that the person's being executed for. They're, the state is saying, like, you have to die, but we can still treat you huma- humanely, even though mm-hmm. you didn't treat your victim humanely. And so it elevates the state morally. And that seemed to be totally lost on John Whitmire because one of the reasons he saw for not giving somebody that meal is that they hadn't given that to their victim, that opportunity. Yeah, that's really interesting to think of it that way. Yeah, but it worked. Um, and uh, they stopped serving last meals in Texas thanks to, again— Lawrence Russell Brewer, one of the white supremacist scumbags who dragged James Lee Boyd behind a pickup truck to death. That's right. Uh, when this happened, uh, there was a former inmate who uh, cooked these last meals as part of his job in prison. Uh, and then I, I think afterward even, uh, named Brian Price, who said, you know what, I'll, I'll continue to make these meals. Um, not, it won't cost the state a penny. But Texas said, no, thank you. Uh, we're not going to take you up on that offer. Uh, and apparently Price got a lot of emails from people like supporting him and saying, you know, 
we think you did the right thing and making a, a humane uh, effort at least and ended up writing a cookbook called Meals to Die For. Yeah. You said there'd be some tasteless jo- or tasteful jokes in here. That was not one of them. I mean, that was Brian Price's joke. Right. I know. We can distance ourselves from that. Yeah. But yeah, he cooked 218 last meals in 10 years. Again, in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess when he was offering to to do this for free, like he was no longer a prisoner, but he was willing to come to the prison yeah. and bring his own ingredients and cook on his own time. And the state still said no. And again, the reason why they said is that it's not really money. It's the sentiment behind the whole thing that they're opposed to. So they turned him down. Yeah. But in his book, he he kind of chronicled what some of the people um, typically ask for. And cheeseburger and french fries is like one of the biggest um, or one of the most frequent requests. But also there were those ones um, that were kind of fancy, like lobster or shrimp or something like that. People wanted as their last meal. Mm-hmm. But because he had to work from the ingredients in the prison kitchen, they didn't have lobster or shrimp typically on hand. So he would just try to get creative with it. Um, and apparently at first, this was his job. He was tasked with this, and he wasn't very comfortable with it because he believed in the death penalty. And I think he felt a bit like a scumbag cooking for a scumbag who was about to die. Mm-hmm. And then he had a conversation with a guy whose job it was to clean up the execution room after executions. And he said that cleaning up the actual execution room itself never really bothered him. What bothered him was cleaning up like the tear stains and the lipstick stains off of the window to the execution room that the family members left behind, that that really stuck with him. And so that conversation with that guy really stuck with Price and it kind of changed his view of the whole thing so that he started to think of imagining the person he was cooking for as one of his family members because he was Mm -hmm. thinking of the family and apparently eventually changed his mind on the death penalty altogether. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we talked about um, what you would call like status food. You said shrimp and lobster and, you know, like caviar and, you know, stuff like that. That's a common request. I said Uh, fancy food. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Livy called it status food. Yeah, no, I know that's what it's supposed to be called. And I would agree. And it is fancy food. I mean, (laughs) What's fancier than a, a sea spider? Right. Is it sea you cockroach? Know? Was it cockroach? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought they were spiders. Anyway, um, not literally thought they were spiders. There are sea spiders, and they're one of the most terrifying things on this planet. Oh, sure. Oh, man. But not as tasty as a lobster. <laughs> no, probably not. You into lobster? I like lobster. It's fine. I'm not like gaga for it, but uh, yeah. yeah, I'll eat it. I'll eat a good lobster. I eat... Publix lobster bisque out of a plastic container the other day. So, yeah, I guess I do kind of <laughs> like lobster. Oh, man, they sell this. Oh, I wish I knew the name of the company. There's a chowder, a clam chowder, and a lobster bisque mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the frozen aisle. Mm-hmm. I've not tried it. I know what you're talking about, though. Is that the one? It's good. You drop the whole bag in boiling water and just let it sort of thaw itself and cook. I think they also make a gumbo, and if it's yes. the same company, the gumbo is not that good. Mm, the bisque and the chowder are good. Okay, I'll try them because I gave up on them after the gumbo. Because I really wanted some gumbo, and I was like, score, when I yeah. saw it, and I made it, and I was like, I still want gumbo. I, I will love lobster in, like, a bisque or uh, certain other things, but I don't know that I've ever ordered a lobster or, like, a lobster tail. Oh, I I have. At Red Lobster. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. For real. At Red we didn't Lobster. Eat there. 
That was like too fancy for us. The um the the really you don't go to Red Lobster for the actual seafood. You go for the salad with their ranch mm-hmm. dressing, which is off the chain. Or um, and or their cheddar biscuits, which if you get them when they're fresh, they're really good. And you want to know something funny? What? One of the only times I've literally ever eaten at Red Lobster was with you. When did we eat at Red Lobster? We went, uh, I think, when Discovery owned us. I think we went in in Silver Springs, Maryland. Okay. When we were there for a meeting or something, okay. we, you were like, let's go to Red Lobster. Let's I, go to Red Lobster. I actually remember that now. Yeah, and we had those cheddar biscuits, and man, those are good. They are. Go- I'm glad your one and only Red Lobster experience was with me. Then, yeah, it was too. That was too ritzy for us as a teacher kid. Yeah, it's not they like my parents like were rolling guys. in it. You know, <laughs> they just well, knew what to spend their money on, and Red Lobster was yeah, yeah. part of it. It was probably a, a special meal for you guys, though, right? Yeah, or not? Yeah, I mean, we typically mom made like chicken a la king and pepper steak and stuff like sure. that. Sure, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it occurred to me, Chuck, as we were having this conversation, that we're ha- we're talking about food and food we love. Mm-hmm. Is that distasteful to talk about that? Have that kind of tangent in an episode about last meals and executions? I don't think so. It, okay. it just it can live as its own little side conversation. I just wanted to gut check it. Yeah, I think we're okay. Um, but uh, how we got started on that was uh, status foods uh, or symbolic requests. So. You know, we're going to talk about some of these over the years uh, that have uh, been made symbolically. Uh, there was a murderer named Victor uh, Figure in Iowa. Uh, I think the last Iowan and the last federal uh, inmate to be executed previous to Timothy McVeigh. Yeah, exactly. Um, asked for a single olive with a pit, uh, saying he hoped the fruit of the tree of peace would grow from his grave. And he kind of got his wish because it was 37 years before somebody was executed federally. Yeah. Uh, what about Gary Gilmore, um, famously uh, from the book The Executioner Song and movie? Yeah, he um, he was executed in Utah, and one of the reasons why he became so famous was twofold. One, he uh, insisted that he be executed by firing squad, which Utah mm-hmm. was one of the few states that still had that on the books, and that's how they executed him. And then two, um, by uh, refusing to <clears throat> appeal his death penalty. Right. Despite, you know, the entire his, uh, apparently there's a lot of public sentiment against commuting this guy's sentence. But he he was like, no, I want to go along with it. So he was I guess there was enough public attention on it that he was given the special privilege of having friends and family visit. And I guess Johnny Cash called up and sung to him over the phone. Yeah, that was his uncle had snuck in Jack Daniels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this guy somehow his defense attorney arranged for Johnny Cash to call, and Johnny Cash sang uh, a Stonewall Jackson song called Don't Be Angry hmm. that apparently he kind of duetted with Gary Gilmore over the phone. Man, that guy was so cool. Johnny? Yeah, he had a real thing for prisons, though, didn't he? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, he you know he performed in, in prisons very famously because he was in prison at one point himself. Yeah, and sometimes, I mean, he would go to the trouble, like if the, he was a little hard up. He'd go to the mall and find that little room where they keep shoplifters and perform for them once in a while as well. I know you're kidding. You didn't get me this time. <laughs> I wasn't oh, trying boy, to. Oh, was, boy, I was so close, though. No. Yeah. That Johnny Cash took it upon himself to go sing for shoplifters <laughs> at the mall when he couldn't find a prison gig. I mean, it sounds ridiculous when you say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I can really sell it, huh? 
Yeah, you're good at what you do. Well, I'll just say that. Thanks, Chuck. Um, what else? Uh, James Edward Smith was executed in 1990 and requested um, voodoo dirt. It's called uh, racunda dirt. And or grave they said, dirt. Yeah, they said, no, you can't have that. Uh, he wanted to prevent his soul from remaining on earth as a ghost. Uh, they said, no, have yogurt instead. And he said, all right, well, you will be haunted by me then for 300 years. Mm-hmm. And um, he was apparently a, a voodoo priest. I saw a self-professed voodoo priest, so I don't know what that means. But, yeah, he was not very happy that they wouldn't give him that. Uh, should we go through a few more of these? Yeah, there's one that we just could not do this episode and not mention because it's one of the most messed up things that we'll talk about today in a podcast about messed up things. Um, a guy named Ricky Ray Rector, who was executed under... Um, presidential candidate Bill Clinton's watch when he was a, a governor of Arkansas. And Ricky Ray Rector had always been um, uh, a little bit cognitively challenged. Mm-hmm. He went on a, sh- a killing spree, basically, over f- four days. He killed five people just randomly in most cases. And then before the cops could get to him, he uh, tried to end his own life by turning the gun on himself. But he missed and he made himself like apparently the, with the, he then had the cognition uh, or cognitive abilities of a, a kid about the age of four from that point on, and that's the shape he was in when he went to trial. Yeah, lobotomized him basically. Yeah, accidentally. Yeah. So the advocates for him said, "No, we don't execute people who are cognitively challenged if they can't understand." what's going on, why they're being killed. We don't kill them. That's just what we do in the United States. And Bill Clinton said, uh, no, we're going to do this anyway. Mm-hmm. And they did, Chuck. They executed Ricky Ray Rector in 1992. And that's not the, that's not the, the thing about this story. There's something that, that's just about as haunting as it can get. Yeah, because uh, while he was eating the meal, um, there was a pecan pie was part of that meal. He pushed it aside and said, uh, I want to save that for later. That was so. the understanding of what was happening to him. He knew yeah. he was going to get executed, but he was saving the pecan pie for afterward. Yeah. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. So that's Rickery Rector. What about John Wayne Gacy? Uh, Gacy uh, was a one-time manager at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm-hmm. So he got Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, original recipe, uh, french fries. He got some fried shrimp, too. Got a pound of strawberries. Mm-hmm. And some Diet Coke. Uh, I went through and looked at a lot of other uh, people and lists. And one thing I found, weirdly, and of course, I'm sure you could find it if you really, really searched. But I saw a lot of Burger King and Pizza Hut. (laughs) But I didn't see one McDonald's. Oh, weird. Yeah. And I don't know if it was just the, you know, the the 20 or 30 that, you know, I kind of scanned through on the Internet. But a lot of, lot of. Pizza Hut pizzas and Burger King cheeseburgers. Probably because most prisons have a McDonald's in them, and we just on the outside don't know it. Oh. You know, like a hospital have like a Chick Fil A. Right. So uh, there's one more I think we should talk about before we move on, if you don't mind. Sure. Philip Ray Workman. Okay. Did you hear his case or see his case? Uh, yeah, this is the vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He his for his last meal he wanted a vegetarian pizza be delivered to any homeless person nearby the prison. 
Mm-hmm. And the um, warden and the prison officials said, no, we don't contribute to charity, so no, we're not going to do that. And Philip Ray Workman said, well, I'm not going to eat anything then. But it was it, Tennessee, right? Yeah. And so his story got out. Apparently, his re- between the time he requested and was denied and the time he was executed, uh, it made it into the media what he'd done and what the response had been. And apparently around the country, uh, people on the day of his execution ordered um, vegetarian pizzas and had them sent to homeless shelters all around mm-hmm. Tennessee. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Yeah, I agree. Um, should we take our second break? Sure. All right, let's take another break, and we're going to wrap it all up after this. Hey, everyone. The Easter Bunny is coming early this year. That's right, Easter is Sunday, March 31st, and with free in-store pickups, CVS makes it easy to get everything you need for brilliant baskets and happier hunts. You can find delightful toys, Peeps-themed egg decorators, pre-filled Easter eggs packed with goodies, and so much more. So hop to it and get your order fast with free CVS pickup. Visit cvs.com slash Easter for details. Hey, everybody, it's Josh and Chuck here to tell you about Health Aid Kombucha. So what exactly is Health Egg Kombucha? Well, get this, everyone. It's a fermented, bubbly probiotic tea that's good for your gut. It's blended with real fruit juice, and it's super thirst-quenching. Right, Chuck? That's right. It comes in so many delicious flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon. And get this, you can drink it just like you would drink a soda or your favorite sparkling beverage. Yep, it's a little sweet, a little tangy, and very refreshing. If you want to give it a try and see how great you feel, look for the brown bottle with an anchor and make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. Hey friends, did you know that it's estimated that 85% of all customer service interactions are automated? Yeah, it's true, and customers are the lifeblood of all business. So you probably don't want to put that responsibility in the hands of a robot. And that's why thousands of business owners call Ruby and hire them. That's right. Ruby is the virtual receptionist company who screens, transfers, and takes messages 24-7 all while making your customers feel special. Yep, you definitely don't want to hire a subpar front desk person. And with Ruby, they engage with your callers in a conversational way, just like your best employee would. That's right. Finding someone who cares about your business as much as you do feels impossible at times. But the team at Ruby are experts in providing the best customer experience and turn every ring into a relationship. Yep. This year can be your best year yet. Small, efficient changes can make a huge impact on your bottom line. That's right. And Ruby answers all of your calls live from right here in the U.S. They'll take messages, answer questions, route calls, and much more. Visit ruby.com or better yet, give them a call at 844-900-R-U-B-Y. So we talked a little bit about booze and cigarettes. Uh, that was that was a long tradition for, you know, hundreds of years, and then kind of went away basically when um, prison started saying like, "Hey, you can't have cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, smoking is banned, and booze is just not a good idea to let people drink alcohol." Um, and people still request it from time to time, 
Uh, I think there was a guy in, in our very own state of Georgia in 2015 who wanted a six-pack of beer, uh, and that was it. And they said no uh, and gave him a meal of uh, fish and grits and beans and coleslaw and cookies and fruit punch instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about elsewhere around the world? And that limits it to just a handful of countries because America is one of just a few uh, democratic industrialized countries that still put people to death. Yeah, a few meaning exclusively or specifically three. There's South Korea, Japan, and the United States. That's right. And I don't know if this is better or worse, but in Japan, if you're on death row, you don't know the day you're going to be executed until the day you're going to be executed. Which what, what would you want? Ah, uh, jeez. No, no, I don't know. I don't either. I can't even answer that. I don't. There's, there's. Yeah, I don't. I do not know. Imagine, like, if you did existential trivia, and that was like a, a, right. an existential trivia question. I would want to know, actually. You would, huh? Because otherwise, I would just constantly be wondering when. Yeah, but if you know, then you're you're counting down the days and I'd hoping rather, I'd that rather something do that. happens. Okay, all right, yeah. I got you. Good. I think it's good to know yourself like that. Yeah. But uh, so they don't know uh, when they're going to be executed. But when they do, um, they can have whatever they want to eat. Um, apparently, they're very liberal with that that idea, and that if they don't specify anything, they'll be given cigarettes, um, drink, which I take to mean booze, and uh, cake, which Japanese cake is delightful. Yeah, um, China is sort of all over the map, uh, and and we probably don't even know really what happens, uh, to be honest, these days. Mm-hmm. But um, there are witnesses from, like, the 80s that say, like, hey, I saw a mass ex- execution where people were just chained to a post and given a hard-boiled egg. Um, Man, other times... bleak. Oh, it's, yeah, as bleak as it gets. Um, other times, like, uh, there was a, a soldier in 1985 who was apparently given a, a pretty good meal of, like, meat dumplings. Um, there are other reports of prisoners eating with the, their executioner, which is um, not unique to China. That, that was sort of an old tradition back in the day as well in different countries. Yeah, called St. John's Blessing. Yeah, so, and it just seems like there is no, like, hard and fast rule in China. It could either be a very sort of lavish thing or almost nothing at all. Yeah. And just real quick before we move on, that St. John's blessing, like it was a socially prescribed thing where mm-hmm. you, before you were executed, you drank with your executioner, like the two of you hung out. Put yourself in that situation. Imagine being on either side of that equation. Like, how would you make it through that? As the executioner? Or as the, as the condemned. Yeah. I don't know. That's tough, tough stuff. Sorry, I know I keep getting philosophical here. I know, I don't have answers for all these. But you are answering them quite well, if you ask me. Okay, I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, one thing I wondered was, and, and I know the answer, so I actually don't wonder, but Timothy McVeigh wanted two pints of Ben & Jerry's mint chocolate chip uh-huh. and was given that. But, you know, Ben & Jerry's is a very uh, sort of progressive lefty company. And I'm sure they didn't like that association. Yeah, they're very anti-bombing. Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure they're probably anti-capital punishment. But oh, so yeah, I don't, too. I don't know if they would want that association of, like, being tied to to a, a capital punishment. Um, probably not. They probably don't bandy that about. Well, there's nothing they can do about it, though. I was like, could they protest that? I mean, I guess they could protest it, but you can't, you can't say who can and can't eat your ice cream. So at the end of the day, they had... 
I'm sure they would have no leg to stand on. But also then you're denying this person their last thing. And yeah, it's Timothy McVeigh, but if it were somebody else, right. would you want to be in that position as the company would be like, no, you can't have that? Sure. Because we don't agree with them killing you. Yeah, I'm sure they just didn't like that press. Sure. Uh, speaking of press, uh, Olivia had a few more little nuggets here for us um, of various sort of weird slash terrible things that have happened over the years uh, or, or interesting things. Um, one of them in 1985, uh, two weeks after um, South Carolina executed their first prisoner in 22 years, um, Pizza Hut ran a commercial that showed, uh, again, Pizza Hut, showing an inmate ordering pizza for the last meal. Uh, this executed person had um, requested pizza, and so they kind of tied it back to that, and they got a lot of heat for that, and they took the commercial down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we talked about this in our death penalty episode. Yeah, one of our death penalty episodes. Um, there's a blog called Dead Man Eating that ran from mm-hmm. 2002 to 2010, and it just tracked last meal requests. Which is another thing. Like, they're frequently requests. They don't necessarily say what the person got. It's the request right. that's the what the thing that's always been published. Yeah. And then Amnesty International ran an ad campaign that's just haunting. Um, the, it's, it's images of the last meals of five different prisoners who were executed and then found innocent. Yeah. I mean, that makes a statement uh, for sure. There was also a book in 2011-ish. Uh, from a photographer named Jonathan Camboris uh, called The Last Meals Project. And I don't think these were um, people who were proven innocent, but he superimposed last meals on photographs of the executed uh, prisoners. So, Mm -hmm. you know, another social statement for sure. Yeah. I remember, Chuck, reading um, – there was, I think, a New Yorker article on Cameron Willingham. He had a third name in there somewhere, but he was executed – and they are pretty sure he was in, innocent. Not a great guy, but probably did not start the fire that killed his family, but was executed mm-hmm. anyway. And I remember there was a quote in there that always stuck with me. One of the Supreme Court justices said that if there was ever clear evidence that an uh, a innocent person had been executed wrongly, mm-hmm. that that would cause a constitutional spasm that would be really tough to require from him and probably immediately lead to the cessation of the death penalty. And when you stop and think about that Amnesty International ad campaign where they've got five people whose last meals they're showing who were later found to be innocent, like we now know five people at least have been executed and then later found to be innocent. And yet we still have the death penalty. It's not even a topic of conversation. That just that sticks out to me because that that quote always stuck to me, uh, yeah. stuck with me. And uh, it's just I don't know. That was, uh, it was just worth mentioning. And also it was worth mentioning because that article – on Cameron Willingham was just insanely good because not only good? is it about his case, it mm-hmm. also calls out how arson is just like arson investigation is just junk science, and oh, people are executed based on that evidence. Huh? Yeah, it's good. I can't remember what it's called, but just look up New Yorker and Cameron Willingham. I can't remember his middle name. Have we done one on arson? I don't know. I don't think we have. That would be interesting because I always wonder how they find the source of those fires. I remember talking about arson being junk science before, so we've talked about something. Supper Club fire, maybe? No, it was long before that. No, oh, okay. Uh, you got anything else? Uh, I got nothing else. I mean, you know, this was dark for sure, but, but we I hope we uh, it was in the good taste in which it was intended. Yeah. 
there are also articles out there that are, are a little more um, fun to read about people's last meals non-executed, but people who knew, you know, famous people who knew they were on the way out mm. and, like, what's the very most special thing that they wanted to eat, like Julia Child having uh, French onion soup, stuff like that. Oh, man, a good French onion soup. Yeah, so maybe go read those instead okay. would be my recommendation. There you go. Well, since Chuck made a great recommendation, everybody, that means it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this Cussing Dentist. Because, you know, I talked about my doctor cursing and how much I enjoyed that. And so this guy wrote in. He said, uh, hey, guys, I want to tell you about my cussing dentist. Uh, the first time I went to this guy's practice, I hadn't been in years. And uh, the hygienist brings me in for x-rays and a cleaning. And eventually she tells me she's going to go grab the dentist because I had cavities. Uh, I'm in the dental chair, the lights on my face. I hear footsteps behind me and an upside down mask, disembodied head slowly comes into my field of vision. He glances uh, up to my x-rays and looks back down, no introductions, no anything, and just says, hmm, open up. So I open my mouth, he starts poking around with a little mirror tool. I'm uh, panicking about that, hmm, uh, what did he see in those x-rays? Is something wrong? My anxiety is growing, and he's taking a long look in, around my mouth. Finally, he says, uh, yeah, we're going to have to pull all of these effing things out. Yes. <laughs> There was a comedic beat, and then he pulled his mask down, revealing revealing a sly, goofy grin. I laughed so hard I nearly choked. And then he finally introduced himself as the dentist. I'm not sure how he picked up on my, hey, it's okay to swear around me vibe so quickly, or if that's just how he greets all of his 30-something male patients, but it was the best first impression I ever had with any medical professional. <laughs> and I've recommended him to literally everyone I know. Uh, that's my story. Thanks for the show. You guys are both true legends. And Stuff You Should Know is my all-time favorite car listen. Uh, that is Ryan in Maine. And, oh, man, Ryan, I wish you had permission to out this dentist because I would go to Maine to get to go see this dentist. Mm -hmm. What a great sense of humor. Going to have to pull all these effing things out. <laughs> who, who who could it be? Is it like John C. Riley, DMD, or the guy who played... Yeah, no, the guy who played Jay Peterman on Seinfeld. I could see him being Oh, that'd be great. Dentist. Sure. Yeah. I love that guy. Let's go with that guy then. All right. Okay. Uh, oh, and also, um, just want to give a quick update to everybody. Remember um, Corey's choice? Oh, No, Corey's yeah. in charge. Yeah, yeah. We, we uh, influenced Spotify. Yeah. So remember, um, Corey wrote in and said that Millie Vanilli and um, what was the other one? I don't remember the initial one. I don't remember either, but they were two very disparate. Oh, um, owner of Lonely Heart. They both oh, showed right, up right. in Spotify search together, and he said it was probably because of you guys. So let's do a test, and we tested mm -hmm. Black Sabbath's War Pigs <clears throat> and Barry Manilow's Even Now. And oh, in short order, people started writing in with screen caps of their Spotify searches, where if you search Barry Manilow, War Pigs uh -huh. was the second thing that came up. If you uh -huh. search War Pigs, Barry Manilow was between three and five. And that was clearly our influence, so that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, how do we use this power? I don't for know. Good. We'll figure it out. But yeah, for right. good. Agreed. We should probably do it for good. All right. Uh, okay. Well, if you want to get in touch with us like Ryan Ryan did, um, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. 
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Hey everyone, the Easter Bunny is coming early this year. That's right, Easter is Sunday, March 31st, and with free in-store pickups, CVS makes it easy to get everything you need for brilliant baskets and happier hunts. You can find delightful toys, Peeps-themed egg decorators, pre-filled Easter eggs packed with goodies, and so much more. So hop to it and get your order fast with free CVS pickup. Visit cvs.com Easter for details. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.